If you have a Bible this morning, you can open it up to Romans 6. If you don't, it uh, will be on the screen for you this morning. Um, uh, something I'm fond of saying around this time of year is that Easter changes everything. And so that's what we believe this morning as Christians and as a church, is that the truth of Easter, if it's true, if the story of Easter is true, which is really just the gospel story, then it radically changes everything else about life. It's the most powerful, gripping story in all the history of the world. And if it's in fact true, it changes everything. Because if you think about it, if, if there's really a God, and if we are really sinners who are created in His image to worship Him and love Him and to make much of Him, and He created us to know Him and to love Him, but if we really sinned and really pushed Him away and rebelled against Him and went our own way, and if in the midst of all that, if rather than just simply thump us off the face of the planet, He loved us enough to actually send His Son into the world to die for our sins on the cross, to rise from the dead three days later, and if He's really coming back again, then that radically changes everything about life. I mean, you, you can't live life the same way if you believe that's true. I mean, it's just, it's counterintuitive to the way a lot of people believe and think right now. And so, it, it's, 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 it's radically changing. The question this morning is, though, has it changed you? Has that story, has the story of Easter changed you? And if you're a believer this morning, is it, is it still changing you? Because I believe the story of the gospel, the Easter story, has the power to not only change our lives, but to continue to change our lives for the rest of our lives. See, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to take the gospel story. And when I say gospel story, this is what I mean. The idea that God sent His Son to rescue us from our sin and to redeem us to Himself, that He died for us and rose again, and that if we'll believe on Him, if we'll turn from our sin and believe on Him, we'll be saved. That that story, we have a tendency to take the facts of it, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and look at it like it's an event that happened way back there somewhere and it did, like a couple thousand years ago, that if you believe that it has the power to change your life way out there somewhere, where we all think we're going to die, which is like, everybody thinks that's like light years away, right? And so, and we all know that that's just really not true. And so, it's out there, it can change my life and change my eternity. I don't have to go to hell, instead I can go to heaven. And right back there, it's this incredible thing that happened that I wasn't around to see. And there's this gap in the middle. And if we're not careful, we'll live our lives believing that that's, that's, that that's what it is. That it changes, it's an event in the past that can change your future, but it doesn't have a lot of power in the present. But the, that's not the gospel. The gospel has incredible power to change your life today and every day. Do you imagine with me for a moment, uh, let's say like a, a 15 year old boy or girl has a family member who strikes it rich with the stock market. They make an investment and they just make millions and millions off this investment. And uh, the only really family member that, they, that they've got, at least that they'd want to live that, leave that kind of money to, is this particular child. And so they decide they're going to will all this money to this child, but they won't be able to touch it until they're 25. Because, you know, they want them to make good choices with it. So they're like, 25, might already go closer to 40. But we'll say 25, right? <laughs> That's a lot of money, right? And so they entrust them with it. And now, if you're that 15-year-old, you're thinking, I've got 10 years before I get my hands on that. And that means there's something that's happened in the past that's going to have a radical impact on my future, but it doesn't have a lot to do with anything today. Or if you die at 24 or 23, it has no, it will never really change your life. It'll just be a cool story that happened. The gospel's so much better than that. It is an event that happened in the past. It does have the power to radically change your future and your eternity, but it also has the power to change your life today. 
So today I want to share with you how the gospel has the power to change your life today and for eternity. And if you're not a Christian today, well, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know you're not a Christian, you're here just to be here, right? You're with family, it's, it's Easter. And uh, we're so glad that you're here, you're our, our welcomed guest, our honored guest, and we're just grateful that you're with us today. I want you to know this morning as we walk through this that the gospel offers forgiveness of sin and freedom from sin. And I want you to listen for that as we go through this. And if you're here today, some of us are here today, and we would say we're Christians, but if we, if we really got honest, we're not. Uh, we, we, we've been through some motions. You may have been baptized. You may have joined the church. You, you've been through the motions, but there's no life-changing power there. The gospel really doesn't make any difference in your life other than it motivates you to go to church sometimes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. And then there's another group of people here, and you're a Christian, and you know you're a Christian, and the gospel's changed your life. But from time to time, we hit these, these spiritual ruts and these stopping points where we struggle and we fail, and we get these temptations in our life, and we're not sure how we can defeat them when we're wrestling with them. And it's like turmoil sometimes. And I want you to hear today that the gospel has the power to change your life. And so whether you're a believer or a non-believer, or somebody that's just not real sure what you are, I believe this text today has the power to speak to you and the Holy Spirit can use it to change your life. It's from the book of Romans. And Romans is my favorite book uh, in all of the Bible. And it's definitely my favorite in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And it's largely agreed upon that this is the richest book of Scripture that we have. I mean, it's just in, in, incredibly written. The argumentation in it for the Gospel is just incredible in every single chapter. And for the first five chapters, Paul basically gives just an incredible explanation of the gospel and our need for it. And what I mean by that is he, he, he starts in chapter 1 with how we have chosen as God's creation to reject our Creator and replace Him with creation. We've, we're created to honor God, to worship God, to love God, to glorify God, to make much of God, but we've chosen instead, every single one of us, to rebel against God and to replace God, usually with some form of something of ourselves, something that makes us, that we feel like temporarily can make us happy, bring us fulfillment, and it can be a lot of things. And usually those things change throughout life, what we're replacing God with, depending on what our motives are. But instead of living our life to glorify God, we tend to live our lives glorifying ourselves when it all comes down to it. Because we're the pinnacle of God's creation. So it makes sense that we gravitate towards worshiping the pinnacle of God's creation, which is the people made in God's image, and the ones we know the best are ourselves. And then the Bible says that the wages of that, it teaches that the wages of that, the punishment for that is death and ultimately hell or the wrath of God, judgment against sin. So that's a harsh thing to hear on Easter Sunday. Well, here's the thing. God is holy and God is just and God is righteous and God is perfect. And if that be true, He can't just let sin go. He's not like you and I. We tend to think He's like us. He's not like us. He, he doesn't sin. He's never sinned. He's holy. He's perfect. And a right, good judge, if somebody's done something that's wrong brings down the gavel and says guilty and gives them their just punishment for that. But the good news of the gospel that Paul unfolds in Romans 1 through 5 is that God has sent someone to take care of that penalty for our sin and it was His Son. And a lot of times we, you hear that and you kind of go, well, that, that, that doesn't seem right. doesn't seem fair to that guy. Well, you've got to understand that God the Son is the Son of God. The Son of God is God the Son. That Jesus comes and He's God in the flesh. And so God Himself comes and He bears the penalty for our sin. The Bible teaches that on the cross that Jesus actually, simultaneously, He bears our sin, even though He's never sinned. He lives a sinless life. And at the same time, God the Father pours His wrath out on Jesus so that 
He takes the punishment for our sins. And three days later, the Bible says, after he's dead and buried in a tomb, he rises from the dead, proving the point that he really did pay for our sins. That when Jesus hung on the cross and shouted, it is finished, that it really was finished. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd have no hope of that. He would just be another guy. Another guy that claimed to be a Messiah. Everything hinges on the resurrection. So he rises from the dead. And the Bible says if we will repent and believe the gospel. Turn from our sin. Turn to God in Christ. And believe the gospel will be saved. Now that's the message that Paul unfolds in the first five chapters. And he teaches them that it's all by grace. And what I mean by that is. The way we get right with God. The way we have a relationship with God. Is not based off our performance. Which is our natural way of thinking. You know. The Bible says. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end leads to death. And it just seems right. That if I do my best. And I try hard enough. That that would lead me to God. But the Bible says. There's a way that seems right to man. But the end it leads to death. And that seems right. But it leads to death. Because the Bible says that our, our performance. The things we do. No matter how often we go to church. Or whether you've been baptized or not baptized. Going to church. Don't go to church. No matter how many quiet times we have. No matter how nice we are. What kind of good neighbors we are. No matter what we do. That that's not enough to take care of the sin problem. That's down deep in our heart. It's not enough to wipe the slate clean. It's not enough to give us a fresh start. And start over. In the eyes of God. We're in trouble. But the Bible says that the only thing that will actually change our lives is the grace of God. The grace of God. And that the the way we're saved is not by our performance, but by believing in something someone else did for us, namely Jesus Christ. And resting in His performance, resting in His work, resting in His person, and not within ourselves. Now, that sounds awesome, and you're like, okay, I've been to church enough, or you're a regular going church goer, or you're a Christian for a long time, you're like, I get that, I get that story, I understand that, I believe that for however long. Okay, now think about it. If you understand that, it makes sense, the questions people had that that give us the the reason we have Romans 6. There's two types of questions. One group of people might have thought this. Well, if that's true, if it's all of grace and it's really not about my performance and it's all about what Jesus did and I'm just, you know, believing, then I can live however I want to. Right? Why does it matter? I can, my moral choices don't really matter because my moral choices are not what gets me to God. And then on the other hand, there were, there were good, good Jewish people that would listen to Paul's message and they would think, wait a second, if you tell people this, they're going to think they can do anything they want to. They're going to have no moral compass in their life if they don't think that according to their performance is what's going to get them into heaven. And so that's why Paul writes writes Romans 6. And so look with me starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's answering a rhetorical question. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, for one who is, <clears throat> verse 8, excuse me. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, 
To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Paul says, he comes around full circle and he says, sin's not going to have any dominion over you because you're not under law. See, the law, the only thing the law had the power to do is show you that you're wrong. To show you that you're sinful. To show you that you don't measure up. And to show you here's the character of God and the nature of God and what God is like and how God says we should live. And by the way, you can't do it. That's what the law does for us. But then grace comes along and it empowers us and enables us to be able to live a totally different transformed life. Life like God desires for us to live. We don't live it perfectly in this life, but that's Paul's point here. It's only grace, it's only the gospel of grace that transforms lives. And so this first couple of verses, he's answering that rhetorical question. And then, in this passage, I believe there are three things here about the Easter story, or about the gospel, if you will, that literally change everything. And and this morning can change you. can change you. Number one, believing the gospel, believing the Easter story, deep down in your... I'm not talking about like the way we typically talk about believing, like, oh yeah, that happened. I'm not believing it in your heart, resting and relying in the truth of the gospel, brings death. Brings death. Did you catch that in the passage that there was a lot of talk about death? See, conversion, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, is a funeral. There's a funeral that takes place. Paul uses the illustration in verse 3, a metaphor of baptism to explain what happens when someone truly repents of their sin and believes the gospel. Now, in their day, you have to remember, the way it generally worked in the New Testament was you came to know Christ, you believed in Christ, and then like right there on the spot, they would just baptize you. Not because the baptism was saving you, but because it was just, I just man, it was just organic. That's the way they did it. It was like, I believe, and Jesus told us to baptize them, so now's as good a time as any, and they baptized you. And so if you look back on your life about when you came to know Christ, it was usually the same day that you got baptized most of the time in most cases. And so Paul here, in referring to this, he's not talking about the fact that the baptism is what actually does this. It's a spiritual baptism. When the Spirit of God, when you believe, places you into the death of Christ and causes you to raise and walk in newness in Christ, your identity gets united with, gets sunk down into Jesus. And baptism, when we baptize in the water, when you bury somebody under the water, pull them up out of that, it's a visible picture of that. And so it goes on that side of salvation. We believe the gospel and then we get baptized. And it demonstrates outwardly, it's just a picture, if you will, and a declaration of what has already happened in our heart and in the spiritual realm when we believe the gospel. And so Paul's kind of looking at the Romans and he's saying, don't you he's assuming they've been baptized as believers because that was just universal throughout the church. And he's looking at them and he's going, don't you know what your baptism is really all about? Don't you understand what it's about? Don't you understand what it's pointing to? Your union with Christ. And that's what he's doing here. And for somebody, to, by the way, to have been baptized, but to have never believed, it's kind of like someone going to the store and uh, buying a new wallet, and it comes with the nice little family inside, and going, you know, I kind of like this family. I'm just going, or, going, or going to buy a new picture frame to hang over the mantle, and going, I really like the family that comes in this picture frame, and hanging it up, or putting their wallet in their pocket, and carrying that around with them the rest of their life, and, and acting like that's their family. We would say, that's sad. You know, maybe some counseling services we could offer. We would say, that's a sad picture, right? We wouldn't want that for anyone. We want you actually to have family. And if we have no family, we can have it in Christ, in the church. And, and he, 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 this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, it's a, it's a picture of what has happened to you. Just like, it's a picture visibly 
of a spiritual reality. And if we walk around with the physical picture without the spiritual reality, it's empty. It loses its meaning of what it's for. So, so Paul's using that to demonstrate. And what he's saying is, he's saying when, when that person was baptized, it was like they were being placed into the death of Christ. He's saying, that's, because that's what happened at faith. At faith, God places you into the death of Christ so that when He died, you died. When someone truly believes the gospel, a death, a funeral takes place in their life and they die to sin. You see that in verses 2 and 3. You see that in verses 6 and 7 when Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And that asks the question, well, what does he mean by death to sin? I don't. Maybe you're a believer this morning and you're like, I don't feel very dead to sin. What does it even mean? Well, he doesn't mean you never sin again. But at the same time, he's not talking about some gradual process over time here in this particular place either. He's not speaking figuratively. He's speaking realistically. As one commentator said, quote, death separates. Death to sin removes the believer from the control of sin. And that's really what he's talking about here. Without Christ, we are dead to God, separated and refusing to submit to Him. In Christ, we are dead to sin. Now we can resist its control and surrender control of our lives over to God. You know, the first funeral I remember growing up is my, is my granddad's funeral. I was about 12 when he passed away. And I remember uh, the funeral very clearly. And I remember going to the, and it was, it, here's the main thing I can kind of remember about it. When you're 12 years old, I mean, death's always awkward. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. And when you're 12 years old, it's your granddad. It's even more so. Because there's a separation that takes place there. You see a body there and you know that's not them. That's just a shell. That's, that's not them. And I can't go over there and have a conversation with him. A separation has taken place once they passed, once they died. And Paul's saying that's what happens with sin when we believe on the gospel, when we believe on Christ. A separation takes place. Uh, Funerals help us grieve. They help us deal with that separation. And conversion, and then our baptism after that, is all. man, it's, it's the procession of that to help us realize we have moved on from a life of sin. And Paul is saying, when you, when you died with Christ, the old self, he says, the old self, the, the, that you that was in Adam, Adam the first sinner, right? Him and Eve. The first sinners. Adam. He said, that you that was in Adam. In other words, you inherited this nature from Adam. That you, that old self, died on the cross with Christ. That's what happens when you believe. Jesus died for your sins, so you can die to your sins. That's what he's driving at here. What does it mean to be dead to sin? We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's what it means. The body of sin brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He means the enslaving, controlling power of sin has been broken in the life of the believer. That's what He means. That doesn't mean we never sin ever again. It does mean we're not under the controlling power of sin ever again. You know, slaves have masters. You know you're enslaved by according to your master. You want to know what you're a slave to? Jesus taught this. The New Testament teaches this. Look at your master. What masters you? What controls you? For some people, it's, it's approval of others. For some people, it's comfort and security. Whether it's through financial means or through a family or whatever. For some people, it's pleasure. What ultimately drives your life? For some people, it's knowledge to know more and be more and all this. I mean, it can be a lot of things. And that can manifest itself in, in power hunger and immorality and all, greed and all these different ways. But they really all drive back to root issues in our heart where we're looking and depending upon something other than God for our true satisfaction in life. That's what has enslaved us. 
And believers struggle with sin, but apart from conversion in Christ, we're defined by sin. We're enslaved to sin. We can't break the power of sin. All we can do is is sin. And so we'll sometimes go through a list of idols, a list of things. And at this phase in life, it was this. At this phase in life, it was this. And rather than have the power of sin broken in our life, we exchange one idol for another, one pet sin for another. You were an addict to this at 15, you're an addict to this at 25, you're an addict to this at 35, and now you're 70 and you're an addict to this. And it's just a new sort of sin. And I don't mean addiction in like the drug realm, it can be, but I just mean this sin addict. And we just change. And we think we're changing when all we're really doing is picking new idols. And he's saying, no, when you're a believer, when you believe on Christ, you die to sin and the power is broken in your life. So if you've never believed the gospel this morning, the good news is you don't have to be enslaved to your sin and a slave to your past anymore. That you needs to die and that you can die. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. No matter how enslaved you are, you can be set free. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what Easter means this morning. It has real ramifications for today. No matter how religious you are, you may still be enslaved, by the way. Church and religion and works and turning over a new leaf and trying harder do not break the power of sin in our lives. Jesus breaks the power of sin in our lives. We can never break sin's strong grip on our life with our own power. We only have the power to sin, not break the power of sin. So if you're a believer, this is a fact for you this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've genuinely been converted by by God, you are dead to sin. That is a promise for you in the Scripture to claim and hold on to this morning. You don't have to sin anymore. You're going to. Until Jesus comes back, you're going, cause we, we have this flesh, we have this, we're human, right? And, and we're still in these bodies that still are pulled a million different directions, and so we're gonna mess up, but we're not gonna be controlled by sin anymore. Your relationship with sin has forever been changed. But the truth is, if all we want out of Jesus is to get out of hell, with no desire, but to continue in sin, no desire to see sin's power broken in our life, no desire to be set free from it. You have to ask, have I had the death that he talks about take place in my life? In other words, am I really a believer? So we have to ask that this morning if that's us. Number two, believing the gospel brings life. It brings life. It doesn't just bring a funeral. It brings a birth. It brings a resurrection. At conversion, you don't simply die to sin. You're given new life. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The reason we were buried in death, Paul says, is so that we could be raised to walk in newness of life. A new life, a new birth, a resurrection happens at conversion. He says, we shall, just as we were united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That word united is a powerful word that Paul uses in the Greek language. It means to be planted or to grow up with. Someone said that it could be used to speak of Siamese twins who are conjoined at birth and share the same bloodstream. He's saying that's what your relationship is like with Christ once you believe. Pastor Timothy Keller said it this way, we get His past and we get His future. We are conjoined, we are joined, we are united with Jesus. His past is our past. God looks at us and He sees the sinlessness of His Son. When He died on the cross, we died on the cross, the old And He rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. His future is our future. Unbroken communion with God the Father forever. We are joined with and in Christ. Now think about that. When you believe the old self died back there with Jesus, then Jesus rose from the dead in victory. And when you believe on Christ, you're raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. 
Now His resurrection power flows through you. You know, I've never been to Jerusalem to see the Holy Land. Maybe I'll go one day. And some of you maybe have already been over there and you've seen all that. And you see, you know, Facebook or Instagram this morning, people are posting the time that they went, you know, and saw the tomb and here's their picture of them by the tomb or whatever. Pictures of the empty tomb because, you know, it's empty, right? And so then there's these pictures of the empty tomb and we think, wouldn't it be awesome to go and actually see the tomb where Jesus Christ's dead body lay and where He came back to life, raised from the dead, and walked out of that place. Wouldn't that just be awesome to go there, to see it, to touch it, to walk around it, to walk inside of it? Wouldn't that be incredible to be there, right? It just gives you like the the goosebump things and all that kind of stuff when you think about it. And Paul is saying this. This is the truth of this text. Look to your left and look to your right. Look in front of you and look behind you. If you're sitting next to or near a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you are sitting closer to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ than you would ever be standing in an empty tomb in Jerusalem thousands of miles away. Jesus rose from the dead and He left that place. But His resurrection power flows through every believer on the planet since that day. The same power. Verse 8 says, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. Yes, one day, but yes, right now. Easter has come to my heart. He's alive, so I'm alive. One day, yes, I'll spend eternity with Him. One day, yes, I'll have a resurrected body and a glorified body that won't get sick and that won't hurt and that won't ache and all that, and I won't die. But right now, today, I'm united with Him and have the life that He gives. The Bible is very clear. Without Christ, we are alive to sin and dead to God. Whereas with Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. So if you do not know Christ, this means that there is hope for new life for you. A life with God instead of a life without God. It means you can be made new and walk in newness of life. You know, we tend to think of sometimes salvation or somebody coming to know the Lord, and people use all kinds of terms, get religion, becoming a true believer, and all this kind of stuff. And we think about it like, we imagine it like this huge wrecking ball came into their life, right? And it kind of does. And it just starts swinging around, and God just starts knocking stuff out of their life. And, and we look at it from the outside, it's like, we're like, well, I mean, they used to, you know, all this stuff's different. You know, they, they, I don't, it's like I don't even know them anymore, maybe. You know somebody like that. They just, darkness to light, right? And we think of it almost like a demolition, of a life. But this passage is telling us it's so much more than that. It's a complete re- reconstruction. Yeah, God's going to come in and He's going to knock everything over and He's going to rip up the foundation, but He's going to lay a new foundation, namely His Son, the Lord Jesus, and He's going to build a new life on top of that with new desires and new hungers and new thirst. And, and not only that, you live life in a completely different sphere. You're in Christ. You have a completely different reality. It's way more than deconstruction and demolition. It's a complete restruction and a relocation of your spiritual life. This means being a Christian has real life impact today and not just when you die. How can it not? If you've been united with Christ. You get more than new life. You get everything new. See, apart from Christ, no matter how good you are, you can be a great dad. You can be a loving and sacrificial mother. You can be a really hard worker, a great provider for your family, a kind neighbor, a generous friend, a compassionate and loyal citizen. But you've got sin. You know you've got sin. I know you've got sin. I've got sin. We've got sin. So spiritually, the Bible says, we're born dead to God and alive to sin. 
And no amount of doing better and no amount, just like no amount of CPR can give life once death has actually occurred. We can't go digging up corpses and do CPR and get life to flow back through them. And no amount of doing better and, 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 and trying harder brings spiritual life. We need to be born again. We need to be raised from the dead. And only Jesus does that. We need forgiveness for our sins. Both the obvious ones that you and me and everybody else sees and knows about and the less obvious ones. The ones we don't think about. Like the fact that we do the right things for the wrong reasons sometimes. To justify ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, to feel like God owes us something. All that sin. The sin that's obvious that's hanging from the tree and that's the deep down in our heart sin that nobody knows about, maybe not even us. And we need freedom from our sins, the controlling power of sin. And that happens when Jesus brings death, but also life. Some people here today, you need that. You're, you're not a believer. You, you don't have union with Christ. You're dead spiritually instead of dead to sin. You're dead to God. You need the death and resurrection. You need a personal Easter moment by faith. And today, you have that opportunity right where you sit. If you're a believer today... Paul is saying, this is what is true of you. The old man has died and you were raised to walk in newness of life. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are free. And you're more than just not going to hell. You have the capability to live victoriously in your Christian life and to conquer temptations in your life and to see yourself. It means you should be on a growth path of spiritual progress and becoming more like Jesus little by little, day by day, a long and grueling and sometimes painful process over the course of the rest of your life. That we're on that path if you're a believer today. And that brings us to the third and last thing. Believing the Gospel brings victory. Believing the Gospel brings victory. Verses 1-10 through 10 tells us the things that are so. These are facts for the believer. But sometimes you wonder, why can't I get victory over that temptation? In fact, you might be sitting there thinking, I've just come to the terms it's impossible for me to get victory in this area. And that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the, at the very, if you're a genuine believer this morning, that's the root of the problem. See, victory has been won, but victory must be applied. The Gospel is believed... It must be appropriated. See, we believe it, but then we've got to appropriate it throughout. It's got to sink down into the deepest recesses of our heart and soul. It's one thing for something to be so. It's another thing for me and you to live like something is so. You know that. In verses 11 through 14, or 10 through 14, Paul shares the importance of applying the truth of the gospel to your daily living. This is the key to growing spiritually. And there's two key words for spiritual victory in this passage. The first one's the word consider in verse 11. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a word that means to count or to reckon, some translations say, or to credit. It's an accounting term. And the idea is this. In God's heavenly ledger, His accounting ledger, if you're a believer in Christ and you've really repented of your sin and rested in Christ and He's come to live in your life, on God's record books, His accounting ledger, it's like, All of your sin was transferred to Jesus. All of His righteousness was transferred to you. And you're buried in His death and you're raised to walk a new life through His resurrection. And so God's got that very straight in in heaven. He understands that. Old you's dead. New you has come to life. And you are hidden in Christ with God and all that good stuff that the New Testament teaches us. God's got very clean, neat books. You audit Him, man, it's going to come up perfect every time. But sometimes our books are a mess. 
And we've got to make sure that our accounting ledger matches God's accounting ledger. Because it makes all the difference. We've got to make sure that what we believe is true is what God says is true. The idea is you need to keep this in mind. To take it to heart is what he's saying. You need to make sure that you need to consider it so. It's the idea of mental knowledge and heart knowledge kind of coupled together. You've got to know some stuff. You got to, first of all, you've got to know that if you're a believer, when you die, when you believe, you died to your sin and you were raised to walk in the innocent life, that you were united with Jesus in His death and His resurrection. You've got to know that. And some of you are like, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Well, that's, that's part of our problem sometimes in the Christian life. And so some of it is just like, I need to know this, okay? The second thing is, you've got to understand, you've got to believe it. Because the way you apply the Word of God to your life, and the way you obey the Word of God, and the way it impacts your life is by faith. We don't just come to Christ by faith. We live the Christian life, grow in the Christian life, mature in the Christian life by faith. And so you have to believe that when God said that, that you're dead to sin and alive to God, you've got to believe it's true. And I don't just mean like, yeah, I see it, it's written on a page. I mean like, believe it down in your heart. Kind of like we say, you can't just like believe some facts about the gospel, but it's got to get, you got to believe it with your heart. We're talking about missing heaven by 18 inches. We've got it all right here and there's nothing right here in our heart. In the same way, as a believer, you've got to let it dig down into your heart. I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm not talking about getting in front of the mirror every morning and doing some kind of power of positive thinking and writing yourself notes that just maybe I'll sell myself on it at some point. I'm talking about just like at some point if you're a believer, you crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus died for my sins, Jesus rose from the dead, I believe. You did that at some point if you're a believer. In the same way as we grow in Christ, every day we have to go, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I believe it. And we've got to take that step every day. That's where spiritual growth and spiritual victory starts. But it doesn't end there, he says. And then you, the word is present. Consider. Second word, present. It is don't no longer present your members, no longer present your body to sin, but present it to God. Present it to God to be used for, for righteous things. It's kind of like, you know, you could, be, you could be given a new gadget. It's another thing to know how to use the new gadget. This is appropriating the things to your life, understanding how to apply the gospel to our daily living. And at times, we don't feel like this is true. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not about what it feels like, it's about what is so. You know, one of my favorite baseball players growing up was a guy named Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy played for the Atlanta Braves, and um, I'm not sure if he's in the Hall of Fame or not, to be honest with you. Um, but he played for the Atlanta Braves, and um, played many years for the Atlanta Braves, and he played right field. And he would strike out a pretty good amount of time, but he hit, well, hit home runs too. And so he was on a very bad team. The Atlanta Braves in those days, in the 80s, were horrible. And, and, and I grew up in Alabama, and if you grew up in Alabama, you were a Braves fan or a heretic. You were like one of the two. And so, and so you're a Braves fan. It was like the closest baseball team within like a bazillion miles, I think. So you, you had to love the Braves. And so, and, and even as bad as they were. And so Dale Murphy was my favorite player. And then something happened. Uh, at some point in my childhood, Dale Murphy, Murphy was no longer a Brave. He was a Philly, of all things. And so he goes and he becomes a Philly and now he's not hitting home runs for the Braves and he's not striking out for the Braves and he's not playing right field for the Braves. He's doing all those things for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now I can't remember if he was traded or if it was free agency or what happened, but he was no longer on the team. And I don't think the Phillies management would have liked it so much if he'd have said, hey, we're not playing Saturday. The Braves are playing. I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go to Atlanta and I'm, I'm going to go play right field for them. They're struggling out there since I left and I'm going to go play right field for them. They wouldn't have liked that very much. Because he had a new team. And he was no longer to present his gifts and his abilities and his talents. He, was, he had taken his talents to Philadelphia. okay, And they were not supposed to be going back to Atlanta. 
He had a new, it was a new reality for him and he had to deal with it. And in the same way, Paul is saying, listen, your new reality is you're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't go presenting yourself to sin. Present yourself to God every day on a daily basis to be used for His purposes with the understanding that you're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's very practical. That means there's tough choices sometimes that have to be made. There's relationships that have to be ended. There's new habits that have to be formed. That means sometimes there might be accountability that's needed. Sometimes it's a painful and hard process, but it means I'm going to do, that I do have a responsibility. That God didn't just zap me from the sky, but yes, He has made something so, but now He expects me to live in light of it. And I have to make real choices in light of my new reality that I'm dead to sin alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then He says this in verse 14, and that's a promise that's still true for believers today. For you are not under, sin will not have dominion over you. That's not a command in verse 14. That is a promise. He's not telling you to do something. He's telling you something that's so. You're dead to sin. And you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And sin will not have a dominion over you. Some of you need to hear that promise today and believe it. Now here's the thing. Some of you here today need what the gospel offers. The whole, off, the whole, the whole shebang. Death, life, victory. You need it all. You're, you're, you're dead in your sins, just as I was at one point in my life. You are apart from God. Sin has brought separation in your life, and you're separated from God, and you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. And you need to understand this morning that the good news of the Gospel is no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone or how close you've gotten without actually going all the way and believing, that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that right where you sit today, your eternity and your life can change. The power of sin can be broken in your life. Your sins can be forgiven and you can be set free. And that happens by believing the gospel. The good news. By believing that you are a sinner, but better news than that, that's the bad news, the good news, that Jesus died for your sin, that He rose again, and the only way you can be made right with God is through Christ. And placing all your faith and trust no longer in your effort and what you can do, but transferring it to Jesus and relying in Him. Turning from sin and embracing Christ. Some of you need to do that today. And there's no better day to do it than on Easter Sunday. Some of you are believers. Many of us are believers. Maybe the majority of us are believers in the room today. And you need victory in your life. You need to reckon some things so that God says are so. You need to square your books with the books of heaven. And you need to stop living like a victim and start living like a victor because you have victory in Christ. And you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you need to begin to stop presenting yourself, your members, to sin, as he says, but to God in Christ Jesus. And that's, listen, we never outgrow that spiritual truth. As a believer, that's the Christian life until we die. Constantly looking into the gospel, being changed by it, and presenting ourselves to God in Christ.